It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at seabock.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lokabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. In addition to seabock.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at turnboot.com. If you're in or getting into the IO psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking to jumpstart your career and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at CBOC.com. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Thank you very much, Jeremy. And hello, everybody. It is good to be back. Uh, Here we are in our weekly little gathering for IOs, HR, and all those people who are in the helping industry. Uh, Jeremy, we were having a little discussion before you um, came on. Where did you get this photo? (laughs) Oh, is that the monkey and the snake? Yes. Dr. Martha found it quite disturbing. I thought, well, then it works. I wrote a, uh, like a blog or a LinkedIn article a couple of years ago. And that photo is actually, it's up on my, on the article that I wrote with this particular topic. And I was able to, so I found it a long time ago, but I was able to find it in my files um, so that we could use it for the, uh, the promo for, uh, it's pretty, pretty good, huh? It is. (laughs) Yeah. And for those that are, that are listening, it's a cobra and a monkey eye to eye. And uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting. And if the monkey doesn't blink, he's fine, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's exactly how it works. <laughs> well, speaking of how it works, um, this is going to be a really interesting topic today because we're going to talk about turning a boss who manages by fear into an advocate. Um, can that actually be done? It, it can be done. And it has been done. And it's actually easy. Everything is easy. You know, everything I, I tend to make things easier than they actually are. And people say you're crazy. I think it can be done pretty easily. Uh, and, and I'm interested to hear what everyone has to say about this people's experience and what you know, uh, I don't want to call them tips and tricks, but you know, different methods, you know, how do we go about navigating these particular relationships with bosses and by fear? Yeah. Um, all right. So where do you want to start? Because this is a topic that I think affects a lot of people. You know, I've worked in other positions before where, man, you just wanted to hide every time you saw the boss coming down the hall. So how do we start with this? And and by the way, if anybody wants to jump in, just raise your hand. We'll bring you up here. Uh, but let's say I've got a boss who really is managing by fear. Um, first of all, that's not a situation I want to live in or, you know, work in, and maybe that's adding to the great resignation, but what are, maybe we start with like, how do we identify this? How do we know that we've got a boss who's really managing with fear and sort of using that as a tactic or a tool? Uh, so we can always, you know, usually quickly rec- recognize it because we feel it and it's, you know, avoid that person at all costs. Usually, so a boss who manages by fear, what we can do is, you know, approach it from a, approach it from a mode of being helpful to the other person, even when it feels completely unnatural, uncomfortable, uh, uh, with an air of confidence and also with 
I want to I, I want to discover how I can un- better understand what this person is is going through, kind of on the other side, and how can you help them? And you eventually you turn them into the advocate. For example, you a, bo- a boss who manages by fear. There, there's you know there's a decent chance that they are being managed by fear as well, and that they constantly feel like their butt is on the line, and that causes them to do the same. We've talked in previous episodes about how if you're having difficulty trusting your own team. One way to to help with that is to work on the trust between you and your boss because there's a it psychologically you get that transference right of of whatever the uh, the factor is so it, it's it's about understanding that aspect of well yes there's toxic leaders yes there's bad apples yes there's personality aspects that aren't going to and yes it's not to say that they're not going to so you know what what I what, probably what I'm going to talk through is not about how unfortunately, it's not how to get them to stop leading by fear, right? So my angle for this discussion is how to get them to stop leading by fear for you. And so that, you know, a single, what a single person can do. And, you know, if other people do it, you know, great, but it's a, it's a tough enough task for one person. So by understanding, so, you know, what's your normal reaction when a boss says something or slights or doesn't include you in something. You know, think of what you can, you know, stop, pause and think about how you can do something that will be surprising as far as your reaction rather than something that is, oh, this is the way this person normally reacts. Great. I'm trying to get a rise out of them because who knows? They may feed off of that as well. So simply, you know, I, you know, these really simple phrases, um, uh, you know, for example, I want, I wanted that done and you haven't, you didn't, you didn't have it done in time. You know, what would you normally do? Normally you get defensive. What, 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 what? And then you either explain yourself away when you're explaining or you blame it on someone else. If instead you simply say something to the effect of, it sounds like this was the deadline that was right. Eventually, you know, it's like a pendulum. People can't stay. Imagine if angry people. If, imagine if they just stayed angry, like 100% angry all the time. It's it's hard to do that. It, you know, it's like a pendulum. So eventually, you get to work that that boss who manages by by fear, even in a particular situation, they start to come down a little bit. If you're asking the right questions and you're starting to see from their perspective, and, and maybe even you know, you've got to listen for the hints, and it takes really good active listening on your part because you may see that you know maybe it's not a deadline that they're concerned about, but maybe they say something like, look, we almost lost this client once and I got, and I almost, and I got blamed for it. Right. So now you have a grip and all that's all because you said something a little softer or asked a good question. Now you have more insight and, and it's very simple. You feel like your butt's on the line for this one too. Yeah. And all of a sudden they start to just decompress a little bit. So there's a way, and we'll we'll talk about more and more. But you know, overall idea is see as you know, get into that perspective of the boss who is leading by fear. You know, don't try to get like you know in their head and and try to figure them out and all this stuff. Your your main goal is simply to say this is what their this is what their experience lived experience is. Here's how I can tell them what their lived experience by making them feel heard and understood, and then. The, the one of the other pieces is how can I help that person compensate for that? What can I do to give that to give this boss support or confidence in knowing that someone else sees where they're at and is willing, even with the crap flying in their face, because it won't last for long, to 
help take some pressure off of them. And eventually they come to rely on you and trust you. And then you turn them into advocate. So it's, it's a little, it's a little bit of a process, but that's a little bit of an overview. And, and I'd love to go to Linda Ann and maybe, you know, get some of the experiences you've had. And the same with you, Lee, because I'm sure in the military, <laughs> you probably faced this. Um, but as you're speaking to it, it reminds me that, you know, some of these bosses, at least in my experience, they're not ogres 100% of the time. But when there's something going on and they're feeling a lot of stress, they just download that stress onto you know people like me or their other employees who, because the pressure's on, they slip into that ogre mode. Um, so actually, Lee, let's go to you first, because, <laughs> because I'd love to hear about some of your experiences with this. Oh, Tom, I don't think we have enough time to... Uh really go through this but uh yeah it's it's definitely different because you know there are protections that you have in the civilian workplace that you don't really have in the military there's a lot more uh leeway i guess for uh, overbearing or, or hostile leadership even um you know and and i think the real key to all of this though is communication and and, uh, and and a little bit delving into tom's realm you have to do a little bit of acting you, you got to work on the poker face um, because a lot of times they're just going to thrive off the, the perceived fear, the, the, uh, the reactions. And so if you can keep that poker face when they're, you know, flaming everything, then they kind of go, wait a minute. They don't seem, you know, they don't seem to really affect about this. What's going on? You know, do you understand me? Well, absolutely. I understand you, you know, and that's when you get into the conversation, you know, when you, you weather the storm and then, you know, like the hurricane as the eye passes over. Then you can communicate. You can say, okay, you know, I, I see that you're upset about this. You know, can you help me understand where we've gone wrong? You know, because I, I, I want to be on your side. I want us all to, to work. I mean, I had um, what one of the worst bosses ever <laughs> towards the end of my career. And, you know, one time I let it crack and wasn't as, as PC as I should have been. And, man, I paid for it for months that I had to repair that. Now, once I got through all that, you know, towards the end, you know, it was, you know, the, the focus shifted to someone else. And it's like, hey, look, you know, I'm on your side here. We're on the same team, you know, you know, to, to use the cliche, help me help you. And once we started having those conversations and it wasn't combative and we were able to come to an, a, an understanding of where each person was and what their role was in the situation, um, you know, because if part of that was me. I walked in with some, some assumptions based on previous bosses oh, i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that and this other and this person was like uh, you know absolutely not and so we we walked into that and i think that's that's a i've seen that numerous times where someone especially in the military where you get you know a senior nco or somebody walks in and they're like you know this is what's going to happen and the person in charge is like no not so much and you automatically have that uh adversarial relationship and so you kind of have to you gotta you gotta check your hubris and and your attitude at the door and go, okay, look, I need to walk in here and find out what's going on first. Um, and, and I found that when I've done that and when I've seen others do that, it's just so, so much better because you, you get that, you know, okay, you know, there's some stuff going on here, but I think we can work through this because we took that time to, to work into it. Um, and it's, and if you, if you don't have patience, it is a tough, tough thing. Um, and also if you don't have that, you know, ability to control the expression of your emotions is extremely tough. 
Um, you know, and I tend to internalize a lot of that, so I can speak from experience that that is a hard thing to do. But uh, if you can do that, you know, I think that, uh, that Jeremy is right on that you can eventually turn that person to your side, at least you know, situationally, at least. Yeah, it, it might be a long process. Um Actually, Dr. Martha, I see your hand up. So let's go to you next. And then Linda Ann, I'm going to come to you. And then Roxanne, I'd love to hear with, you know, with the work that you're doing, um, how bosses uh, can affect you. Uh, but Dr. Martha, let's go to you first. So I really like what Lee is saying about the poker face, because we really don't know what's going on with that person who chooses to um, incorporate or use fear as part of how they're managing or leading, right? It could be stuff in their personal lives. It could just be their shortcomings in management style, their own insecurities. It could be like what Dr. Jeremy said, they're getting the same from their own boss. So we could spend a lot of time speculating what's going on with them short of giving them a therapy session or two. But what Lee is teaching us with his input here is about emotional intelligence. So when you do control yourself and how you are um, non-reactive, how you are um, acting yourself in that situation, you are managing then to lead by example. And when the other person continues to make a fool in front of themselves in front of you, essentially, because you're the one that's composed and they're the one who are fear-mongering or flying off the handle or whatever the case may be, then at some point, logic dictates they would notice that they're the fool in this equation. And hopefully, you're then taking the lead by example with your own behavior. So I really wanted to comment on that because that was an excellent, excellent idea. And, and thank you very much for that. But Linda, and I want to come to you because I'm getting a feeling that there are times when they don't recognize that they're a fool, that that <laughs> they are, you know, they're they're full scale out there. And and sometimes there are bosses who just need somebody to pick on. It's like high school all over again. Uh, so what are some of those experiences that you're seeing in HR? Well, that's what I was when when Dr. Martha said that they realized they're a fool. I was like, wow, really? <laughs> because I haven't. I haven't really seen that before. Um, even though you, you, you know, you approach them with that, that calm, you know, that reaction of calm so that you don't engage that, that escalation, you know, um, and my question like to, to the, to the group here is really how do you not, how do you do this and not reinforce their behavior, right? If, you are going ahead and you respond in a calm manner and you make them feel better and all those kinds of things. How does that not reinforce their crappy behavior? Right. And then, and continue to do it. The other thing that is, is a, is a toll that it takes on the individual, right? How does that, um, you know, when you respond that way, it can feel really inauthentic and it can create this sensation of also, well, they might respond to me well in this situation and not respond to me, even though I behave the same way, not respond well in a different situation. So that can create that eggshell kind of environment where you don't know how it's going to happen, you know? So I've, I've worked with people like that and it's, it's, um, it's a real challenge from both the human resources side and from the, the people that it's taking its toll on. 
Yeah, and and I certainly don't have any answers, but hands are flying up. So, <laughs> Brendan, let's go to you next. So I, I posted this in the chat, and I think it's it's a twofold awareness issue. It's are they aware that they're doing this when you do kind of try to make it out that showcasing that that behavior is unacceptable, and then it's the second fold awareness is are they aware that that behavior is unacceptable because they might also just not even care, and that's just how they function as a human being. Yeah, there, there, there are narcissists out there. <laughs> um, Roxanne, let's go to you next, because I'd, I'd love to hear your take on it. Thanks, Tom. So um, with this, I have, you know, working in the restaurant industry as a young person, I've experienced this a lot with me. Um, and, you know, you could tell right away respected and who is not as a leadership. Many of the times, you know, when I was a manager, people during our inspections, they would work really hard for me. And then the minute I go on break, and somebody else takes over, they would stop working because they didn't respect that. Manager. It was very sudden and eye-opening for that. Um, other things I think this can also relate to is definitely the emotional intelligence piece, but also conflict. Man, we are not taught in schools, high school, community college, or really college conflict management skills, maybe in only certain degree fields they are. But also employers should make it part of their training and development piece as well, some conflict and the emotional intelligence. I did work for a franchise that was focusing on emotional intelligence for their management leaders. And it it was a hit. You know, a lot of them really loved it and they got to work better with their teams. So it really does help to improve everybody's wellness, well-being outside, inside of work, just to understand and how to relate to people. This is why I think psychology is should be a mandatory course for everybody. Um, just learning how people think and why things happen the way they do in social psychology instances would be a huge benefic- beneficiary quality for everybody. Yeah, even for actors, I was telling students in acting programs, those electives you have take psychology. Uh, Dr. Jeremy, let's go to you. I'm going to, it turns out I did, uh, this was actually, I put this up as a blog at some point. I'm going to put it in the chat if anyone wants to, the, the blog that I wrote on it. And it's also an article on LinkedIn. So for those of you that are listening to the podcast, it's on cbuck.com. Just go to blogs and click my name as a category, or you can go to my link, check out the post um, or articles. So there's a, there, I'm going to steal Brendan's phrase, Brendan. So the good, there's good news is the article I wrote on LinkedIn was in, two, in November, 2019, and th- it incorporates these things. So. I've actually been using using this and teaching this in corporate and whatnot and coaching and critical communications classes 2016. And here I am still talking about it in 2022 because just hearing all the great feedback from these principles. And lo and behold, Tom, you're going to... I mean, most of you, you're going to hear, oh, a broken record because it, it turns out like in this blog, I'm looking back and thinking, wow, I still talk about all this stuff because I haven't looked at this so long. But... It's interesting. I want to speak to Linda Ann's point real quick. Like, how do you how do you deal with these neg- with these negative things without validating and reinforcing, but without you know getting yourself into trouble? And one of the things that I found there's a way that there's a, a there's an art, right? Communications it's an art, there's a skill and an art. So there's a way to o- to only use the other. Let me give you an example. I had someone that came to me, uh, someone at you know when I was working in corporate, someone that was higher up. And really, you know, crazy bull environment said, I can't stand part-time workers when they get their own office because they don't deserve it because they haven't worked as hard as I have. Okay. So I can't say, ah, I mean, I could at this at that point, but you know, I'm a little man on the totem pole, you know, a while ago. I couldn't say, 
you're a jerk for thinking like that. I couldn't just outright say that. So what did I say? My response was very simple. It sounds like you've really thought about this. So I'm not reinforcing. All I'm doing is trying to pull out and let them think about, allow them to think about things on a different level. Because then if you, when you do that correctly and it, you know, and it worked too, eventually the person said, ah, maybe I actually don't feel that way. It wasn't those exact words, but it got to that point because I got them just to, I just asked some questions really. And it got them, it, it kept me out of hot water. But it also got them to really say, oh, man, I'm, you know, I, I shouldn't be saying these kinds of things. So there's a way to, to navigate that. I coached someone, no kidding. I coached someone for, uh, for a salary negotiation and doing something similar. They ended up getting an extra 30 grand in, in salary because they never stated their salary, but they simply repeated back what the other person said and then sent the follow up email saying, you mentioned that. This. So they, they never actually gave a salary. They were asked for a sal- salary range, but the person went back and said, you know, it sounds like you have something that's a budget position. And they did. And then you, and then you, so there, there's, and then you just repeat what they say because now you found that out. And then you just repeat what they say. So they can never come back and say, your range is too high because all you've ever done is just repeat what they've said. So that's like an overview of it. But there's a way to keep yourself out of getting locked into certain things, especially in these high stakes situations when there's a good chance that you might be manipulated and when your words might be held against you. So I'm not advocating these types of things to be manipulative, far from that ever, right? It's always ethics here. But there are situations we want to prevent people from being manipulated. And that's very important to me. So I wanted to address, it's just a little something that can be done. There is an art to it, but it can be done. I wanted to add, um, when you look at you know, one thing that you can do with these bosses who manage by fear is realizing that they're used to adult to child conversations. We talk about this a lot and we fall into this. We are the child. So there's a way to, you know, first off, you've got to start seeing yourself as, you know, the adult that you are and start to make sure that every conversation you have with this adult, with this person who manages by fear is an adult to adult conversation. It's so easy to get twisted into that child mode. Right. So it's always, you know, don't let them knock you off. You know, you're, you're a freight train. Don't let them knock you off your tracks. You're an adult. You can do that. The the other thing I wanted to mention is, um, there are ways when, you know, boss who manages by fear when they're not in managed by fear mode. And when it's, you know, the waters are a little bit calm, there are ways to slowly, you know, creep in there and get a little bit, a little bit of trust and, and start to build a little bit of that, that relationship. By simply saying things like, um, you know, let's say you're talking about a project, you know, who, who, how many times a boss who leads by fear does someone come up to them and say, hey, what are the three most important things uh, about this project? Probably never because nobody wants to talk to them. They're unapproachable. But if you do that and now you're asking them a question that matters to them and people like to feel heard and people like to feel understood. So now you've just engaged that person in something that's important to them. Um, and there's, there's a list of questions and I'm, you know, full disclosure, just referring back, back to this blog, I wrote a jar of my memory. So I'm <laughs> reading some of these questions. Uh, what is, you know, and some of the other questions I'll just read off, you know, what is your biggest fear with someone else being involved with the execution part of this project? So you can get even a little more specific. Uh, what talents of mine can secure those three most important things? How can I advocate this project? 
how do I keep this project on track and help you be successful? You know, so there's different things that we can do, but it takes a the you know taking the initiative, and it also takes us knowing that we are an, a, a second or third or fourth or fifth adult in the room, and knowing that I am an adult in the room, and I'm not going to let someone knock me off my tracks through that that child mode. And and the last thing is when you completely change your mindset of every interaction with that person. And your mindset goes to instead of, I think of this person as a jerk and someone who leads by fear. And what do I want to get out of this conversation? I want them to be my advocate or I want them to get off my back. You know, those are a perspective, but in this situation, no. Instead, it turns to this person has a, a lot going on and they want what's best for them and maybe even their team. I'm going to do blank. That's helpful. It's a total perspective. Tom. All right. We got a lot of hands up. Lee, let's go to you first. Yeah. You know, uh, Jeremy just touched on so much of what I was thinking. <laughs> so, um, you know, one of the keys, I think, is to ask questions without questioning. When somebody feels they're being questioned, they tend to get defensive. But if you can frame your questions in a way that you're just seeking information, you're not questioning their motives or their their uh, <clears throat> abilities or you know whatever, um, you know, uh, help me understand or what can I do to make this easier or uh, yeah, finish this. What else can I do to make this go? What is the most important thing uh, on this list you've given me? You know, I mean, I've had how many bosses have we all had? They've given you this huge list of stuff and everything's important. Everything's already late. It's got to be done. It's like, okay, so I've gotten a lot of stuff here. Um, help me understand what is the most important to you. And, you know, and and as far as what, uh, what Linda Ann was saying, I mean, you know, just because you're consistent doesn't mean you react the exact same way to their behavior. So that in one way you react um, versus another way. So if they're being, you know, uh, what was it? What was the word used? Being an idiot. Um, you don't, you don't pat them on the back for that. I mean, you 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 can gently challenge what they're doing to you know and start asking the questions and whatever else to you know hey hey wait a minute let's let's talk through this you know to where maybe you can bring them short just a little bit oh wait a minute maybe maybe I need to revisit this situation where they come to you positively hey can you do this for me absolutely I'd be happy to help you out with that so now I'm doing a little more reinforcing on the you know come to me positive man I'm gonna get a positive reaction out of me. Um, so there are ways that you can, you can not so much manipulate or shake the behavior or whatever, but you can show that I'm going to react a certain way if you are a certain way with me. And you know, when you do that, it does often drastically change the, uh, the interaction that you have with that person. It may not necessarily help anyone else unless they start modeling your behavior, but right. you can at least make your load a little lighter. Good advice. Dr. Martha, let's go to you. Going back to Linda Ann's point, um, I'm not interested in reinforcing their behavior or making them happy. What I'm interested in is not fueling that energy that they're spewing out. So by being non-reactive, I'm not feeding them more because oftentimes people who behave in certain ways feed off of other people's reactions, be it fear, or maybe they become aggressive or combative or whatever the case may be. But what I'm saying is that if you keep yourself in check in that situation and not give in to whatever they're goading you with, then you are reducing their power in that sense. And I understand that it's difficult on the person who has to deal with that, but that's where some self-care has to come into the picture, right? We're all responsible for our self-care. So when you are 
in that kind of work environment where you have um, stress from a, a boss who leads by fear or whatever the case may be, you have to do some little, you know, extra self-care to be able to process that and deal with that. Work can be stressful. And that's just one example of that, how that can happen. And of course, I realize that not everyone will have this epiphany that their behavior is damaging and toxic and inappropriate. I get that, but some will. And then going back to what Dr. Jeremy said about this parent-child type of relationship, which to me is so strange. We're all adults at the workplace. We're not children. Um, I can tell you from a personal experience, when I was a young kid in my 20s, I had a manager who spoke down to me and one of my uh, co-workers And I was flabbergasted by that because that never happened to me before. And I wasn't going to stand for it. That was not acceptable. Most bullies will back down when you challenge them. So, but you're always taking a risk. But I waited till everybody was calm and I got him alone. And I told him point blank, this is not acceptable. You are never to do that again. He was speechless. He had nothing to say. And he never did it again. Could it have gone the other way? Of course. But that was up to me. And since we're talking about how does an individual deal with this, that was up to me to either speak up and stand up for myself and make it very clear what is acceptable and what is not, or just be a victim for the rest of my life. I didn't do it in a reactive way. I didn't do it in an aggressive way. I waited some time till everybody was calm. I didn't do it in front of others. So to embarrass him, but this was a conversation that needed to be had. And like many bullies, he had nothing to say and he never did it again. And, and sometimes I can definitely work, but Linda, Ann, not, always. You next, not always, because when it doesn't work, Linda, Ann, people are in your office. So <laughs> let's go to you next. Yeah, that's um, I had a situation one time and um, all the joys of the open workspace. Right? And <laughs> the individual boss uh, was having had an issue with one of the employees, went down and just spewed, yelled just for like 10 minutes on this one person. And so that the damage that that caused for through that 15, 20 people. And then when people spoke of it afterwards, the damage that caused to that individual leader's um, uh, credibility as an effective leader was, was massive. Um, and I had the, the enviable task of waiting about 20 minutes, half hour and going up to the gentleman's office to address the, what had happened. <laughs> um, and so I talked about the fact, I addressed it in the very calm manner of, of the behavior, right? But he felt totally justified in his behavior. And, you know, I couldn't. And so that was one of the least fun days in my job. Um, and, <laughs> uh, but, I still don't think that he ever saw that his behavior was um, counterproductive. And there are, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but there there are leaders out there who, and, and the way you described it, that's a very, to me, old style or old fashion of leadership that you can just berate people you know, until they do the job. But that's still out there, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And the person, you know, quit, of course. And, and, but the damage was extensive. Um, and the other thing that I had to, to, 
that I wanted to bring up and see what Jeremy had to say on and, and Dr. Martha and so forth is, you know, how, how does gender play in this? You know, you talked about the, the parent child relationship, but you know, how does the gender issue come in when, you know, some of like that particular um, individual, you know, was a different way that he treated women versus men. And so when you're trying to do that with someone who may not, and it could be a woman with men as well, she might be angry with men, but when there, it's um, the opposite gender and how that can play into that situation. Even mansplaining, which, <laughs> which we have to stop. <laughs> Roxanne, let's go to you. So a lot of good, good things here. Ultimately, I want to boil this down to regulating your emotions before we start the conversation. Um, this is kind of a common theme here in the U.S. that we've seen is people, you know, they can't regulate their emotions over the past couple decades correctly. Uh, they don't have that introspection within themselves. And it's really creating struggles everywhere, um, not only professionally, but also within relationships, um, government systems, everything. Uh, one of the things individuals can do is obviously is the mindfulness practice that and regulate your emotions. But when you do come in contact with a conflict you prepare for, you shouldn't, you should always wait to react, such as we've been talking about, you know, take that 20 minutes to think about it before viewing out something you're going to regret later. Um, and especially if you feel threatened, personally, it's always best to wait and maybe seek somebody else out for, you know, uh, consolation, confidence boosting, just to be like, am I overreacting? Basically, just reassurance on that front. It's but also, good, yeah. go ahead. I was, I was just going to ask, is it good to have, you know, a team of allies that you're working with that you can, especially if you're dealing with this type of issue, to have, you know, your coworkers understanding it and, and probably also experiencing it. So to come together as a team to, to face it. Sometimes it could be beneficial. Um, other times it could also be those gossip in the workplace and get retaliation from management and things like that. So it's very tricky, but in a sense, it can be beneficial if it's probably the right environment for it. Um, Otherwise, I would say definitely work with questions, keeping those questions in mind to probe why they, why the person thinks that way and make them think as Dr. Jeremy was saying too. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Turnboot. The name is not elegant, neither are the issues that organizations face. Led by a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, you can rest assured that the highest standards and latest in workplace and human behavior science will be used to get your organization results with a tailored plan specific to your workplace needs. Truly helping others, integrity, positive impact, and getting results. That's what we stand for. That's Turnboot Organizational Excellence. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Cynthia, I'm so glad you put your hand up. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, you're very welcome. And, you know, we, we, we both are, you know, have worked in the entertainment industry where producers and directors, I mean, using fear is their number one tactic. So, you know, share with us some of what you've seen. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you know, 
it used to be in Hollywood, you would, you could throw something at somebody and it would make a dent. Like I had this one executive who bragged because the executive had thrown a tape at him and it made a hole in the wall and they bragged, oh, look, so-and-so, you know, put a hole in my wall and put a frame around it. I'm so good because he yelled at me. Right. Well, we have something to be aware of um, from both sides, employer and employees, the cancel culture, because you can't just do that as easily now. What goes on in the dark comes out in the light. And if it's a consistent behavior, it can catch up with you. Employees can record with their phone while they're sitting in a meeting with you and you're saying something that you think you're you're in a safe zone and you're not. And one tweet can ruin your career. One post can ruin your career. So just remember that it works both ways. They can also record you. If you lose it with your boss, it can turn against you too. So it's always being recognizing that there's more transparency than there ever used to be. And the other thing is, is if um, like I've had micromanagers, certainly had the screamers. Um, there is no atheist on the battlefield, let me tell you. But um, but identifying, maybe this has come up a little bit, but what are they afraid of? Sometimes bosses more, they want to be heard than they want to be right. And if you, they don't feel heard, it just, it just escalates their behavior. So sometimes it's just about just listening. And, you know, you keep saying, you know, be cool. I love to ask questions without questioning their motives. Some like it this way. I had a, a chairman of a studio who, if you didn't yell in the, in the meeting or you didn't take them on, then you didn't mean it. You weren't passionate and he didn't respect you. Um, but then there are those that you, you can't take them out in a group because they will slit your throat one way or another. Uh, if they feel like you have undermined their power in a group, that can be very dangerous. So, but be sure to remember that they have tremendous res- responsibility and they're under a lot of pressure. So don't just see it from your eyes. Say, what, what, what are they afraid of? And then, but there's proactive things that you can do, like observe their behavior style, their preferences, their pet peeves, work around their, tailor your, your style to their weaknesses. If they're not organized, help them be organized. If they have a problem picking up the phone, um, text them instead, if that's the way they like it. Like pay attention to think about what keeps them up at night. What, what, it, what would they like to have more of and, and, and what can they do more of on a daily basis that you can help them with? That's how you become the advocate because they trust you. Trust is usually one of the biggest fearful, you know, issues. And your personal brand is more important than any boss. The high road is not flat, but it's a better view. So take the high road, be the example, and they might actually start recognizing if everybody starts taking the high road, they might start emulating it just by osmosis because, you know, a lot of times people get, you know, they get promoted and they get put in charge of people and, but no one tell they get to learn to do more paperwork and administration, but nobody explains to them how to do the people work. So show them how to be, how to do that. And um, don't, there, it's it's easy to say don't be intimidated by a bully, but it's more about picking your battles. I had a, uh, an executive recently who screamed at me and the whole staff heard it and they're like, oh, I would never da da da. When I have the right opportunity and if it happens again, you get one try. Sometimes people have a bad day, but I will not allow it. If I have to take them aside and say like what Linda, I think was saying, uh, this is not happening. All right. So just don't bother with that because you will not motivate me to, and, and don't use your resentment against yourself. Don't say, well, then therefore I'm going to work less hours. I'm, they're only shooting yourself in the foot. So, you know, be, be mindful of those things. And, and I, I really especially like to ask, 
ask questions without questioning their motives. They have a lot of responsibility. Maybe they don't have the training and they are living in a transparency culture, which makes them more scared sometimes to even open up at all. So you have to let them know that you're there to help them be their advocate and they will be yours. So there you go. There you go. Linda, let's go to you. Yeah. I, um, I wanted to bring up the topic of, we're talking a lot about overt fear, right? But a lot of times it's more covert than that. And I've, um, there's someone I know who is in the human resources role within the organization. And she was talking about one of the, the managers or, or whatever that was there. And what they said was, well, so-and-so did X or didn't do X and they're not here anymore. And I said, you realize that that's a threat, right? That, and that, but it's a, not always recognized as that, but it creates that sense of fear. Yeah. There are lots of <laughs> those little things that can be said. That just make you, it sure sounds like a threat when it comes out. But uh, we're so conditioned by some people's behaviors that we don't even hear it that way. Yeah. Um, and once again, that kind of comes back to communication and, you know, that it is a two-way street. You have to actually hear people. Um, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. I wanted to point out how important what Cynthia and uh, Dr. Jeremy were saying about reframing and trying to see the other person's perspective is because you know, I've been thinking about it and there are so many companies where there is not an HR department, someone to mediate the situation, uh, smaller companies, family owned companies, and you're on your own. So unless the individual is able to reframe, look through a different lens, try to be more empathetic and, and understand what may be happening with that person, why they're acting like that. And how can I be more helpful or less stressful to them at the very least? Um, you're on your own in a lot of situations because if a company does not have an actual HR department and a lot of companies don't, a lot of companies don't, then you have no one to help you with that situation and you have to be able to rely on yourself. Yeah, 100%. And, and Dr. Jeremy, let me bring you back in here because we're getting a lot of good advice. But at the same time, I can imagine there there are some bosses that you just can't work with where, you know, what do you do in those situations? There are. And, and there's definitely toxic people that just can't you can't work with and the company needs to let go of them. That's it. We have fans or butts about it. And if you're in that situation, of course, too, as a worker, I mean, there is a, a, a time when I mean, a lot of people are their boss. We know that. But, I mean, there is a time when you, especially if it's that toxic of a work environment and it's affecting your life, that where you find somewhere else to work. Uh, you know, sometimes it, you know there. Sometimes companies have in place. You know, Linda Ann knows and has spoken about this. There's there's things in place where you can uh, like there's hotlines. There's uh, you know, you can call HR. You can do these these kinds of different things. But then again, are you going to make the situation worse? So. You know, that's a conversation to have with, you know, hopefully you can find someone in the organization to have that, you know, particular confidential conversation with how to best proceed. There are times when if it's a toxic environment, toxic leader, and you've realized that it's, you know, it goes higher up the chain that you find a, a better organization to work with. It's absolutely amazing when somebody leaves a toxic company and within three months, they're with a different company. It's like their entire, they're reborn. Entire life has changed. And they, but they can't, it's like an abusive relationship. They just can't seem to get out of it. And they, there's just that fear of moving on. And there's that psychological, when you look at the, when you look at the cycle, right? The psychological cycle of abusive relationships, 
it's it's all it's all it, it there's a lot of parallels there um b- because there's confusion there's manipulation there's all kinds of kinds of things and, and pe- people just get so involved and they don't even some people don't even think to leave b- because they're so just immersed in that way of, of being um but there is uh you know the grass is always greener on the other side but you still have to mow it that's what i usually say but sometimes it's you know just get get out of there and uh, do a targeted you know be be targeted talk to a career maybe talk to an outside career counselor uh to take an assessment what what you want to do you know do some networking but again with these types of situations you're in a state of you know we talk i talk about this a lot i say a state of misery but i don't say not actual misery here i'm going to say you're in a state of actual misery and how do you get out of that you change your current state into a state of dissatisfaction you realize that the grass is greener so you realize that you start to vision out what your life could be like on a daily basis and then once you see that then you might say ah maybe i'll get on a professional network maybe i'll do some networking maybe i'll just look at a couple jobs and all of a sudden now you're piece by piece by piece starting to build a vision of what the possibilities are and that's one way to pull yourself out do the first steps take the first steps and seeing you know is is it possible and that it's possible get the heck out of there i'll join let's go to you so um Jeremy, your point brought up some things sparked in my brain. Employee hotlines, those can be good and bad um, based off of the uh, perceived HR reputation. Um, there is like IO psychology where we're not well known. HR has come to either the bad guy or the good guy, depending on what organization you work with. And employees, even as a, like a security supervisor, I would say, hey, when they you know, have a problem with me that was very clearly like harassment or sexism or something, I would tell them, report this to the hotline. And they would be like, no, I don't trust it. Which good reason in the security industry, because I actually used it once for a a sexist comment from my supervisor, and they ended up just telling him about it straight to him and knowing who it was. So I, so yeah, we really need clear process of who gets involved within those employee resource guides, like a process, who's going to get this information, how it's going to be used type of thing, because clearly there was something lacking in that ocean there for confidentiality. So they just painted a target on your back. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Cynthia, we've heard this story before. Let's go to you. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. Um, You know, I'm going to be a little vulnerable here and uh, tell you that from my, well, it can be very paralyzing when you have a boss who is so such a bully and you get frozen, you know, fight or flight, all of that. And after picking bad boss after bad boss and therapists, a few in my lifetime to figure out how to manage it. I had kids and everything else and all kinds of stuff. Um, my, my therapist said, you know, the grass is greener on the inside. So look, I was because of my childhood, you know, that I was raised with a negative environment. I sought to be the most difficult bosses you could possibly find. I needed to prove that I was good enough. And so I would go in and subconsciously pick bad bosses. And this therapist said, you you know, you don't have to pick bad bosses. And I was like, oh, really? Okay. And you know what? And But the important thing is when I realized I had a boss that was the limit, she was older than me, no kids, resentful of my, resentful of my lifestyle and easy to pick on because I would just say, you know, bozo pick on me. So I was the one that she bullied and I'd had enough. And then I realized that 
I needed, when people tell you don't work for that person, do your homework and make sure, because you know what? I found out they're usually right or there's a reason. And so if the chemistry's there, fine, but do your homework. Don't just jump ship because you think I can't hate this anymore and get your ego out of the way if you can and say, what kind of organization do I want to work for? Do your networking. There's plenty of ways. Look for the environment that will make you healthier and happier and will support you. Don't just say, I'm out of here. Who do you think you are? If you can, that's not always the case, but do your homework and don't, don't be desperate to get, to jump from one frying pan to the other. So, you know, to Jeremy's point is like, you know, if you need to leave, leave, but make sure you're smart about it. Right. Linda Ann. So I have two things. One, um, just to comment on what Cynthia was saying, I, I, I often tell people when someone says to you, oh, this is going to be a, a challenging uh, growth experience, that's not a job you want, right? Um, <laughs> but um, I wanted to go back to some of the comments that Roxanne was making about the 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 confidentiality in, in some organizations with, with human resources. And I would imagine that in some cases it might even affect, um, IOs where I've been in experiences where because you are interacting with the employees and they are being confiding in you in certain things, um, some information needs to go back to management in a confidential, um, you know, non-revealing way, but they need the feedback. Right. And but the pressure that I experienced from them to reveal was extraordinary. And so, you know, it took a lot for me to stand up and to say, no, you can't have that information. Well, this was sort of into my next question, because uh, and let me start with you, Linda, here, because it's usually if it's if it's a boss who's doing these things using fear, you know, they're a manager and more than likely the people above them. All they're seeing is results, that this person gets the job done, that, you know, things Mm -hmm. are happening, Mm -hmm. not the way that they're doing it. So how do we get past that manager to get to those people who have more power? Would I get into more trouble if I (laughs) went past my manager to talk to someone in, in leadership and said, you know, this is a toxic environment. And yes, the work is getting done, but at what cost? How, how do you negotiate that? That's, I, that's a, the conundrum of, of the workplace today, I think. And, and let's see if Jeremy has one of his magic. Um, <laughs> I, the, the only thing that I can say is, you know, if you, if they're in an organization that has any element of, of human resources, right? Then that's, that feel, people feel confident in, right? Then, and you have to be really careful again, too, because I've been in smaller organizations where you, even if you do a survey, like ask a couple questions and get survey feedback, they want to know, they, they sit there and they figure out, oh, I think so-and-so said this, and I think so-and-so said that, you know, so you have to, even if you're going to tr- say, you know, I want some collective information, I mean, you have to have a big enough sampling to to disguise where it's coming from. Yeah. Um, Cynthia, I still see your hand up. Do you have a note? Kate, let's go to you, Roxanne. And then Jeremy, I'm going to come to you for that answer. I wanted to like add on to that survey field with the small sample size. It might be more beneficial to do um, like the multiple choice, truth, false, and the the Likert scale type of questions rather than the qualitative. So that way they can't, um, uh, you know, infer who it was. That might be a good workaround. Yeah. Good advice. Brendan, we'll go to you first and then Jeremy. Uh, I've also seen this plagued in exit interviews where um, 
you should never, ever, ever, and I'm just saying this out of experience, give someone someone's direct exit interview. You should probably do quarterly summaries and then kind of link them to what department they were in because I've done that before with one company and the CEO was like, well, I need to know who says this to see if it's valid or not. And I was like, it's, it's valid if they said it. That's how they felt. So you're trying to say that their feelings weren't valid. That was valid. That was real. It happened. Yeah, it's 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 it gets even trickier. And and Jeremy, so so what do we do here? I mean, how do we how do we navigate this? It's it's tough to navigate unless you're. I mean, unless you can, unless you're in a position where you can have those convers those difficult conversations with higher ups, it is it is extremely difficult to navigate. And Brendan's right. I, I've known of companies where they've done they had years and years of exit interviews, and they just went in a file and nobody looked at them. And then one day there was a, there was an issue, and then the people who were the uh, then they looked at them, and then the people that were higher ups demanded, just like Linda Ann was saying to have everything turned over to them exclusively and no no copies anywhere else right so you know not not to you know prevent people from you know being thoughtful in exit interviews but some people refuse to have exit clam up so that's an or, you know that's that's an organization a question for the organization you know what happens if you don't do the, what happens if you don't allow confidentiality with reporting? What happens if you don't allow some kind of a system like Linda Ann was saying, where you've got enough of a sample where they can't slice and dice and find out exactly who said it? Same with employee engagement series, right? Managers shouldn't have access to data unless they're a certain number. Usually it's at least six uh, on their team where it's a little bit more difficult to find out who said what, and then six is a very low number. So how do you navigate it? You know, in general, depending on mission ask questions, it's, um, you know, you, you, you know, you can always say, you know, you can always use the, Hey, asking for a friend, you know, HR asking, you know, I, I have someone, I have a coworker who's very concerned about X, Y, Z, and they're worried about confidentiality. What should I tell them? You, you could say something like that if you really wanted to, um, for the people who have a say, um, let's say you just happen to, you know, be, you know, have a pretty good relationship with somebody who's higher up. You might say something to the effect of, um, it seems like, it seems like this company, you know, make that assumption, right? It seems like this company really cares about what the employees think about the working and if they happen to work in a toxic environment you, and just lead a conversation with some questions and you can start to feel out. Um, you know, how would they be, you know, you can start to fill out just by asking that, that line of questioning to find out. And then who knows, it might, something might come out of it where they realize what they didn't realize. And maybe you are the catalyst for implementing something in your organization and kudos to, to you. So it's, it's not the easiest thing, but we've come, I mean, I, th I think with our conversation here with all the great minds, we've come across some simple little action items, a couple starter points, at least to start the conversation. Uh, so with that in mind, we're almost out of time. Um, any CBOC news? So we have, we're jam-packed with events this month. We have seven events this month, believe it or not. And just to call attention to two specific uh, different ones. We, so Dr. Destiny Preet, her organization, IO Military Experts, we've collaborated with them for an IO Psychology Networking Mixer, which uh, Dr. Destiny has posted on her LinkedIn and on her IO Military Experts page. And we also, I think it should be up by now, uh, just posted it on our events page where you can get um, your free ticket to that. We also have a much needed event on June 28th, the relationship between human resources and industrial organizational psychology. We can never get enough 
of that one. And when you download your ticket, there's also a, uh, a copy or a download Don of the new Seabock White that dives into that a little bit. Um, lastly, the if you're an expert looking to, to grow your brand and connect with other experts, we have Seabock has an expert professional membership. And of course, our IO Pathfinder membership is absolutely cruising along. We're connecting with more and more colleges too, to help even with their with their current students and their recent grads to have more clarity on their industrial organizational psychology career path. So lots going on there and you can sign up at cbock.com. Just click on IO's start here. That's it, Tom. Oh, and next week's event, which you're going to ask me about uh, just for next week. The next week's event is... Uh, ooh, a good one. Exploring niche areas of industrial organizational psychology practice. Another really good event. Be a great one for all those students who may be tuning in next week. I think a great one for every single IO. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. But yes, definitely. Come back next week. We'll find your niche for you. <laughs> yeah. All right. With that, uh, thank you very much, everybody. Linda, Ann, Roxanne, Brendan, Dr. Martha, Lee, and all of you who joined us uh, today and added your voices. Thank you very, very much. And we'll see you again next week. And with that, Jeremy, why don't you count us out of here? Thanks, everyone. Beautiful, as always. Counting out in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com.